I need one. The Matt Drury fit. <laughs> the, the, the Matt Drury, Drury failure proof. <laughs> Give it to Matt. He'll find what's wrong with oh, it. Oh, every time. He's good at that. <laughs> this segment of DOD TV is brought to you by Matthews Archery. Elevate your archery experience. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast, episode number 168. What's new at Matthews? I'm Tim Sheldrick. I'm Matt Drury. And we're happy to be here. That's right. And that guy, he's really happy to be here. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you know, it's that time of year where most places probably went through a firearm season already, and you might be back. With, with the old bow in with hand. With the old bow in hand. Freezing it out in the stand. That's right. I experienced it last night. <laughs> Isn't it funny how different late season bow hunting is from early? <laughs> like just the clothes you have on yes. and getting stiff, yeah. cold. Yeah. So like, you know, it was probably a month between when I shot my Illinois buck and when I went hunting with archery tackle in uh-huh. hand again. So I had to get all my gear back out and kind of make sure and go through the paces at the house and, you know, shooting the morale targets, making sure I'm just dialed back in. Mm-hmm. And it just is a different feeling. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's almost like, all right, you you know that your anchor point, you know, your mechanics are all still there. You just kind of got to get back on that bike and ride it again and get used to it. And there is something to be said about the extra layers of clothes, the gloves, the face masks, you know, you got the extra really, weight that maybe you're carrying yeah, this time of year, yeah, the, the, the old tendonitis or the tennis elbows, you know, barking. It just, it all seems like you're moving a little bit slower than you were in the early season. So you got to work out all those yeah. kinks again. And that's kind of where I was at. And I'm in that mode right now, just kind of getting back into form. Uh, and that's just where I'm at. I shot my VXR a little bit this weekend in preparation for an archery goose hunt this coming weekend. You son of a gun. <laughs> I'm not shooting so great. Yeah. Well, that was, it, it has been a little bit yeah. since I've, since I've shot on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you get used to shooting every day for like all summer into the fall and depending how lucky you are, maybe you killed one earlier, maybe it took you off, but you're used to shooting almost mm-hmm. every day. Yep. And then you take a month off. It's just a different feeling jumping back into it. So I I'm with you. I'm my, my groups aren't as tight and still generally speaking where I should be, but you know, it's just different. It, yeah. It could be better. It could always be better. <laughs> yes. Well, let's uh, jump into our shout outs. We love it when you guys uh, send us feedback on the shows. Our first one is from a YouTube watcher, Ashlyn Lagana. When I first saw this, I thought it was lasagna and I love lasagna. So. <laughs> Man, I'd like to be, meet Ashley. You know that's got to be her whole life. <laughs> Ashley lasagna. <laughs> she probably hates people she, like me. I'm sure she does. <laughs> she says, I love these podcasts. They so funny. So funny. See, we bring... The comedy. We just created a new last name for her. That's right. So, Ashley, you're welcome. All right. So, the next one, you know, I looked at this sheet ahead of time and I looked at it. I'm like, thank Great. you. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> so, the next one's from my mom, <laughs> Willa Tree. She's watching the shows. She comments on Dear Cash. She goes, Cameron makes a really great co host. Welcome to DOD, Cameron. Hope to see you back soon. Maybe hunting with your dad. And then I started playing some sound bites for Tim. You and your mom are hillbillies. <laughs> Got real uncomfortable real quick. That's right. So, <laughs> thanks, mom. I'm, she, I, that had to be the only thing she has ever watched, and it's because my son Cameron Well, you us. know she's not watching this episode. Yeah, so she'll never hear this. <laughs> Cameron's not here. That's right. Uh, yeah, so make sure you leave us some feedback on your podcast player or YouTube or DeerCast, wherever you're watching these shows, and subscribe, too. 
All right. It's fun. It's fun to subscribe. I would subscribe if I, I could. I would subscribe. I have subscribed. Really? Yeah. I, nice I've, I've subscribed to like three podcasts. Ours, <laughs> which I don't listen to. I don't know why. <laughs> I just subscribe to... <laughs> Go team. Yeah, thanks for the numbers. <laughs> That's right. Appreciate it. And then uh, Rogan's podcast, obviously. Uh-huh. I subscribe to uh, the MFCEO project, which is now Real AF, which is the first form guys, Andy Frisella sure. and Sal jumps on there a lot. That's about it. That's it. I listen to a lot of like paranormal UFO podcasts just for something different. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Does it? <laughs> it does. It makes perfect sense. I love, I love that stuff. Um, well, so let's let's not delay. So we're talking about what's new at Matthews. So when we're talking about who we're going to get on the show, we need someone behind the scenes. We need someone that knows their stuff. Yeah. So they just launched the new V3 platform uh, back on November 17th. And, you know, we... Mark, Terry, myself, Taylor was shooting the Prima. We, we had been shooting it all fall and uh, we just weren't allowed to, to show it or talk about it until they launched it, which is something they've done the last few years. They get that fall launch every it's year. It's kind of a cool yeah, process. Yeah, but it's also hard for the people that are <laughs> yeah. using the web, especially when you have like deer cast. We're terrified we, we're we, going to show oh, something. Well, originally it was supposed to like some of the team were supposed to get it. And, you know, and I thought this seems like a liability. I had a to sign to keep NDA in the bag. and, you know, it's like, like, all right, I can control Mark, Terry, Taylor, myself's content to an extent. I can't control the team members. <laughs> yeah. So let's just keep it to us and worry about them, you know, once this thing's been launched. So we've been shooting the bow. We've had a lot of great success with it this year early on, especially in October. It was a great fall. Love mm-hmm. the platform. You know, we got the VXR in the summer and, and shot it. And then yep. when they sent us the V3, you know, it was, it, it was just a nice jumping off point to go from the VXR and kind of get introduced to the brand of the product and similarities and then, and then go into the v3 so without further ado yeah. who do we got on we've today? got the design engineer manager from matthews mr mark hayes mark what, how are you what's up man guys how are you we're good we appreciate good you jumping down. on with us i'm happy to be here mark is automatically better than us because he knows math <laughs> That wouldn't be hard for <laughs> <laughs> We're like monkeys with a calculator here at the yeah. studio trying to figure stuff out. <laughs> One plus two. So, so tell us about how you how you came to Matthews. Like I I I, I just I'm fascinated by that world. Yeah, it's a. I'll keep it brief. I, when I was a kid, this is all I ever wanted to do, and so I actually started writing letters to Matthews when I was 15. Um, and I did that every year. Uh, I got a letter back the first time I did it. And so that kind of just like built that fire. And so I just kept doing that, just persistent and kind of annoying to be honest with you. And finally I uh, got a call back to come do an internship here and been here since I graduated in college in 2012. So, wow, that's pretty awesome. That's yeah. a cool story. So, <laughs> persistence so, paid off. Matthew's going to be checking a bunch of letters, yeah. handwritten letters from people. <laughs> people don't do that. It'll be emails, <laughs> right, lots yeah. of DMs yeah. and emails. Give me a job. <laughs> that's great. And th- that's great, though. And it, it, it's so cool. There are so many people in the outdoor industry that are here because we want to be here because we're passionate about the pursuit. And, and I, I can't think of a, a more prime example than that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, everyone here is just super passionate about archery in general uh, from the target side and the hunting side. But and that's really where the crop of ideas and things like we have some of the best archers inside this building and in our proving ground team that you could ask for in the entire world. I mean, and we get so much benefit from knowing those people mm-hmm. and being them ourselves. Yeah. 
So what's your actual degree in? what do you go to college for? Philosophy. Uh, mechanical engineering. Oh, okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right. So let's jump, let's jump into this. You guys, how long does it take? I got to know how long, like, are you already working on next year's new launch? Like how long do you guys take to create the general idea and and then go start working on the engineering from there to, to have these new big product launches? Yeah. So it's really two paths. And one of the main things I can't stress enough is that Matt has been and is the main head designer. I mean, he has, just an absolute gift for designing archery equipment. And he's been doing it for his whole life since he was a kid in shop class. And so, you know, ideas come down two paths. It's either Matt's just uh, his genius and his flow, or it's a, an idea that we've been developing for a few years that we're just waiting for the right system um, for it to go on. So an example of that, we'll get into more details later, but like the roller guard is something that we've had ideas about for a long time, but we're waiting for the right system. Uh, that it fits on. And, you know, the V3 was the one that for the center guard that it just, everything came together correct when we put it all together. And so it's kind of a mixture of Matt's just flow and just, he, he'll he go through prototypes daily. I mean, he's just flying and he has his own personal machine shop. Um, and so we do, we do all our own testing in house. We, we have cycle testers, we have efficiency measure, we got our Instrom, we got all that stuff and he's flying all the time. And so in our, our group, my group is just really his support. So whatever he needs. Um, so yeah, an idea could be years and years in development, or it could be part of that flow and just how fast we move. And that's really, I think what sets us apart is that system that we have developed. So the roller guard is probably one of the most, um, newly iconic pieces to the V3 platform. Um, but let's take a step back and first, because roller guard has been around for a long time and, you know, in, in my lifetime, I've seen them go from like a cable slide to something that's got a lot less friction. What does it actually do? Why is it, why is it even important? Why is it even on a compound bow? Yeah. So it, the basic form is just get the cables away from your shooting path. Uh, you have cables that sync your cams together. You need to get your fletching by. And so like at the simplest form, that's what a cable slider or roller is going to do is pull that over. Now you're putting tension on the system um, when you do that. And so roller guards, like you said, decrease the friction. So that was a better, that was an improvement. Um, and then in 2012, we did a reverse assist roller guard, which if you look at everything else in the industry, as those limbs pull, those cables actually get more tension. The, the angle gets even tighter. When you do a reverse assist, like we've had since 2012, it actually decreases that angle, takes tension off the system. So uh, you see people try to get around that with, you know, flexible roller guards, but if you could just take that angle and decrease it as the limbs pull back, you're taking a ton of tension off. And so when we went from reverse assist, which helps a lot to now what we got now, the center guard, now you have the tension the same on top and bottom and angles are the same. So not only are you decreasing tension in this whole system, but you're actually improving the cam timing because instead of an offset cable guard, you have one that's right in the center of the bow. Cause so on most bows, where does that cheat? Like, does it cheat high or a little low? high? Okay. Yep. It'll shoot. Yeah. So Normally, and you can look on, you you had VXRs too. It came above the grip. Now we knew of this offset problem. So there's things that we did that, you know, we had different size rollers and everything. We compensated for that, but it was never perfect. And so like the center guard 
this year is where that came together, where it's now finally in the center and perfect and still actually an added benefit of more bank clearance, which like we started, that's the simplest form of that. Just trying to get that, those cables out of the way of the string or out of the arrow. Will a typical whitetail hunter see a performance improvement from an iteration like that? Well, the key is like the initial setup. And, and that's where you build a confidence in, in a system or in a bow is when you pull that bow out of the box and you're bolting stuff on, you're eyeballing everything and you can shoot boom and shoot a bullet hole right out of the gate. I mean, that's where that confidence starts to build. And that's where stuff like that really comes into play where it's in the center, your cams are perfectly timed and you can just start going into your tuning process. And hopefully if we did all our uh, homework right, that's a very quick and easy setup. And so your confidence just builds on, upon that for the system. Yeah. And it doesn't move during the season. Sure. It seems like you're removing variables. Like you're removing things that can change in the system so that if there's a problem, it's probably the shooter as what? opposed to <laughs> can't not, be not you, Matt. I mean, it's probably the equipment <laughs> if something's weird there. But yeah, you, you start eliminating all these different variables and stuff. And then you can really hone in on just focusing on your form. Right. And it's a long season. You guys were talking at the beginning. I mean, we're now into late season hunting. And so you need a bow that's going to stay where you left it when you were shooting every day in the summer. And that's another thing that we built into the system is just to be as robust as possible. So it can last um, as long as you're out there. Well, like that V3 that I have, uh, and I guess Mark and Terry are in the same boat. Like I'm so used to getting a bow and, and, and like, I take mine over to Mike's uh, archery and tackle there yep. in, in St. Peter's, Missouri. And he, and he's a Matthews guy, by the way. And so, you know, he <laughs> I don't had, think he has any other shirts. Well, no. So like <laughs> he had been helping me with my PSEs all those years. And now when I, you know, I went in there and I t- kind of gave him the news, you know, I was like, Hey, this is top secret, but this is what we're doing. He's like, Oh, <laughs> he gave me a hug. <laughs> I was like, hey, we can't be doing this COVID, you know, but he was excited. So, you know, I'm used to being able to take my bow in and, he just does the once over to make sure everything's kind of tuned right and everything's doing yeah. what it should be doing. Cause I I've said it a billion times, I'm not a technical archer. You know, I, I think I probably relate to most average hunters out there where you get the bow and it starts shooting and you're yeah, going, that's yeah. right. You know? So with this V3, these guys are so secretive about this stuff. Even Mike, who has an NDA there, wasn't allowed to see this bow. So I had to rely on the fact that, they sent it, you know, set up and it was ready to rock and I haven't made any adjustments to it. I mean, it's been, you know, other than getting it sighted in, mm-hmm. I haven't done anything to it. It's shoots great. Yeah. But I would like next year to talk about that. <laughs> it, it gave me a real confidence problem when I first got it because I was just so reliant on a technical archer giving it the once over and, and it, yeah. it, it, it did give me a little bit of the heebie jeebies hesitancy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until I finally got the HHA dialed in that single pin, which that was a whole nother thing. Cause I switched to a single pin this year. And so I just had a lot. I went to open both eyes open instead of one eyes closed. Like it's I a changed whole new world from everything this year. And so they, it was almost just a bit of a, I don't know, like in the back of my mind, it was giving me a little bit of the old TP <laughs> and yeah. And, but I, the whole point is the bow itself performed fine. Ultimately I got through it 
because mm-hmm. the bow was fine. I never made any changes to the bow. It was just the mental checklist I had to go through to get comfortable with shooting a bow that I hadn't taken a mics first. Brand, yeah, it's a brand new process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, and yeah, I mean, we rely on our retailers so much, and that's what it's all about is having a trusted guy. And just so you know, next year, yours went through the our engineering tech, Justin Jotham. He's the man. I mean, and so all your bows go through him and I can't imagine that out of the box, it was perfect because that's how he does every single one. Yeah. And like I said, I still haven't taken it. My, as soon as the announcement came out, Mike's got camera that works at Mike's. He's like, Hey, he texted me. He's like, Mike wants to know if he wants to take a look at the bow. And I'm like, <laughs> actually it's shooting fine. I, I don't think you need <laughs> to. <Actually> good. <laughs> so we're good. You know, uh, right, right now, Mark, there's, there's a lot of talk about like short axle to axle, long axle to axle. Like wh- what's, the 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 typical thinking has been longer axle to axle is better for out west and distance shooting shorter is better for maneuverability in the stand maybe in the midwest or the east like personally where do you come down is is there really a difference between that 27 and 31 inch draw length or not, not draw length but axle to axle axle to axle yeah and so traditionally i mean those two numbers are traditionally both short bows. Um, but we're calling the 31 our longer stable one and our 27 are, are compact. And, you know, the name of the V3, people can read into that, but we've been going a certain way in the past few years. And that's a long rise or short axle to axle uh, platform, because in our opinion, we've been measuring the wrong thing. You're right. Traditionally that the long axle to axles are your stable bows. And you see, we got a target line uh, from 34 to 40 inch axle to axle that we win a bunch of tournaments with those long bows are traditionally more stable in a hunting situation. That's not ideal though. Mm-hmm. And what we're, we know and what we've been working on is that your stability comes from that long rigid riser. And so as our bows progress, uh, we have a 31 that is closer to a 34 to 35 inch axle to axle bow and riser length but in a compact pass parallel 31 inch axle to axle. Similarly on the 27, that's a number that we would have never touched. I mean, that's just so short uh, because you are going to give up a lot of stability on that. However, with the V3, we got a riser that's closer to a 30, 31 inch axle to axle traditional bow in a 27. So you're getting the compactness that a hunter needs, but not giving up any stability. And we have two for whatever style that you have. Mm-hmm. If you're in blinds or if you're spot stock or you have it on your back a lot, that little 27, that's the one I shoot. That's the one right here. Um, I just love that little thing. And I shoot tournaments all year. I'm not a guy that wants to give up accuracy, um, but the stability that we build into the short bow works for me. Now, if you're max stability, regardless of size, that 31 is going to shoot. And I think that thing could win tournaments. Mm -hmm. We give it the hunting bow name, but uh, that thing is stable and crazy accurate. So, but it's really the way we're going. That long rigid riser is so important to stability and accuracy. When you say pass parallel, so you're talking about kind of where the limb pocket is and then where the axle sits relative to that. Yeah. And we've been, you know, parallel limb bows, people have been talking about that for years, but this is the first one that starts at parallel and goes past. So yeah, if you would draw a line from where the limbs come out of the cup here, uh, the axle is actually perfectly in line with that. So the entire draw is past that parallel mark. And really that is the feel of the bow and our performance. We're just, the the thing just shoots no vibration. Um, but super efficient, meaning it's, you're going to get a lot of performance out of it. Mm -hmm. And that's really, 
the benefit of that, um, in addition to that long riser, is that you're getting a feeling, Bo, that it's just unbelievable, something you've never felt before uh, in that past parallel design. So, Mark, you talked about um, axle to axle being kind of almost a misnomer in terms of stability. I, I wonder what's happening with brace height, like because we focused for a lot of years on brace height and and, yeah. and longer brace heights equal better shooting bows. And like, is that is that still a thing? Um, so, if you notice that, that's tracking shorter too. A six inch brace height is our standard brace height on a hunting bow, which was just crazy short just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. But the, the reason is, is you want to uh, decrease variables and in the design of the bow, we've done things and I can go through them real quick, but just to take those variables away. And so you can get by with a shorter brace height, meaning if you had a longer brace height, say you, your cam had some slop in it, your limbs could move. A longer brace height is going to clean some of that up, going to be forgiving, people say. But when you have tight, we have zero T axles where the screws just tighten all that slop up. We have limb pockets that just hold those limbs crazy tight and we have a really long rigid riser when you do things like that and you manufacture the way we do you can get away with that short, shorter brace without giving up any accuracy and you pick up a ton of performance and so like you you'll notice our prima this year for the ladies it's a five and a half inch brace height which would scare a lot of people but at their short drawings and at the technology that we have built in they're going to get performance out without getting uh the the um losing any stability or accuracy so yeah brace heights are trending with technology as we manufacture better we can push that brace height limit and six has become the standard on our hunting bows wow yeah i know seven for a a long time seven was kind of the the standard but yeah um how about taking us through some of the some of the things that you love about the v3 platform maybe some things that you can see by, by looking at it, but maybe things that people wouldn't be able to just tell by, by checking it out. Definitely. So like one of the challenges that we go through is as you make a long riser, it's inherently weaker. And so like a big win for us is to create a stress analysis of the riser that just, we don't give up any of that rigidity, um, which is so necessary to stability. So yeah, it's a challenge for us as we go longer, that thing can get, weaker you have more leverage pulling on a long piece of aluminum so we're able to do some really cool things geometry wise too um you you can see here some of the new it's real organic looking but really gives the rigidity that you need um even in where our roller guard was we we were able to do some trussing there that just like really stiffened that whole riser up and gave us a performing bow that uh, we need uh, as we go longer so those are things that probably people won't pick up on, but they're like really important uh, to us as a company. And, and really the, the main thing, and this is where Matt starts is efficiency. I've said it a couple of times, but when you pull your bow back, you want as much energy as you can out of that thing. You don't want to be pulling more than you need. And what that leads to is less residual sound and vibration. So if you can get an efficient bow, you're getting the speed out of it that you put in with your energy, but you're also getting something that feels amazing. And that's kind of what Matthew's been known for is that experience, that quiet, no vibration uh, that comes from the start, the efficiency, something that people wouldn't really notice. So those two main things are probably things that like uh, people might not notice when they pick it up, but they experience when they shoot accurately and when they feel, but it feels good on the post shot and they can shoot for hours without getting fatigued. Those things matter. And you might not see that right away, but those things really, you know, what I love and what I look for in the bow. 
I shot Matthews for a number of years. And one of the most iconic things I think about a Matthews bow are the vibration dampeners, kind of that, like that almost spiral design. I've always been curious and and, and maybe you've done testing, maybe not, but if you take all the vibration dampeners off, like what difference do they, do they really make? Like, do is there a percentage of vibration that they suck up that you know about or how, how, or, or because I know some people have been like, Oh, they're just doodads, but do they actually do something? Oh, they definitely do. And we've had them for over 20 years now. Matt has designed those. And we used to do a drop test of a bear riser at shows. And you'd hear them throughout the entire venue where we would drop a riser without them. And we'd drop a riser with them. And what it's doing is it's a passive damper, which means when you shoot the risers and everything's moving, it takes all that energy away. And it's developed over the years. This year we got a brand new one. It's called a Nano 740. It's a lot smaller than Old before. Nano 740. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. <And> so, <laughs> but what that does is as an engineer, you're trying to like take that technology and just squash in the smallest, most compact thing you can do. And that's where that small size, you know, it looks better on the bow. It's more streamlined, but we couldn't give up any performance because that's what we're known for. Like you said, you know a Matthews bow because of those dampers. And, and that's what this did. It's a brand new weight proprietary rubber that we use, but this had a brand new vibration platform that we've never seen. So like we had to develop this damper just for the V3 and every system has a different vibration um, uh, platform. So, or profile, I should say. And so as the bows change, so do the dampers, but they're always made to uh, get rid of the maximum a vibration as you can because that's that experience that you you will get fatigued if you are to if your arm is taking all that vibration without the damper taking it so sound and vibrations like that's that's something we love to develop would you kind of take us through the weight of the bow a little bit and kind of the thoughts behind that because i was you know had been used to shooting a carbon bow so it was a bit of a you know i guess an adjustment going into a heavier bow but like you know mike at archer shop is telling me all those things like even the kickstand you guys have the the, The every legs yeah the limb legs everything's kind of built in to help help i guess steady your shot to a degree. Can you kind of take us through that and the process and what, I mean, kind of the thought behind the weight that you guys have to the bow? Yeah. And we've had light bows in the past back. I'm thinking back to the helium 2012 is a 3.5 aluminum bow, um, which was something that we did just to, you know, prove a point that there's other materials out there, but we are, we know aluminum um, and we know the benefits of it. Um, but as you get a bow that that's that light, um, it is difficult to have that thing to be steady sometimes. And so it's always a give and a take. Um, we like to build in robustness and uh, something that's going to last, like I was talking about earlier, that's going to last all season, stay in tune. Um, things like that um, that we build in do add some weight. But what you get out of it is stability on the aim and just performance over the long haul. And so, but we did do some things this year on the V3 that we did actually save a considerable amount of weight. The 27 is 4.29 pounds, and that's a real weight. You know, a lot of the weights on uh, spec sheets, um, we're not sure how they get those, to be honest with you, because if you put that on scale, it's not that number. Um, This is a 4.29 bow in the 27, which shaved a ton of weight off. We had a 28 last year, VXR, that's 4.44. And so that, and that came all on the limb and the limb cup design. 
Um, but we do not want to give up any robustness and any stability. When you're aiming, if you look at some of those target bows guys are shooting, they're shooting tons of weight on their yeah. stabilizers, right on the bottom of the riser, all that stuff. And, and that helps with your aim and your stability on the shot itself. Your shot is pretty violent. It's accelerating that arrow quickly. And so you need a bow that's going to be stable in that split second that it's launching it. A light bow will seem will tend to rock um, around your hand. And so having a little bit of weight in the right places on a bow is, is key. It seemed to tighten my group up is what I felt like. It just, I don't, you know, I, I guess I never realized that I was maybe moving more, you know, at the shot than I should have been. And, and that's what, to me, it seemed like, yes, it was heavier, but it almost steadied my aim to a degree. It's kind of the challenge with a light bow is that it's more reactive to every yeah. little input that you give it. Well, the other, the other thing is that that reverse stabilizer. I've never shot one before, and I know like tournament guys do, and, and a lot of hunters out there do. I, I had never done that before, but this setup, it's kind of pretty much made to to have one of those. Sure. And and Mike really recommended it, and that that has seemed to help me a lot too. And and I, I don't know what's the thought process behind that. Same, just yeah. having that back tension weight, or what what is it? everyone's a little different. Uh, your, your muscles in your arm and how you grip the bow, all that stuff's different. And so it's going to be an individual thing, but what a back bar traditionally is doing is two things. One to slow your pen, what you're talking about on your aim. And like you said, Tim, the, as you aim and any input that you put in, it's going to, you're going to see that in your uh, sight picture. So slowing that pin down, adding weight where you need it. Also getting quick to a bubble is important. I know you guys, when you pull your bow back and you're getting on a deer or on a game animal, I mean, you got to be quick to get in your peep, get to your kisser if you have one and make sure that bow is level. So if you have a sidebar where you maybe naturally tilt in that sidebar or wherever you put it, it's going to help you get level super fast. And so I, what I recommend is you pull back with your eyes closed and you open them up and make sure that your bubble is, is level. And that's really like side to side where you want to put that back bar um, and it's always a give and a take. You're adding stability, but you're also adding weight and length. And so you, ha it's always a balancing act, but yeah, you're right. I mean, when you shoot something with a back bar, it is going to be more stable. And I was like, before I was saying, when you fire that arrow, that's really going to resist that twisting that I'm talking about that when you accelerate that having weight further out and low keeps that bow stable during that process. So yeah, group should tighten and your, um, your pin float will slow down as well. Now I don't shoot one though. You know, I, and I shoot one on a tournament boat, but I have to have that thing right in because I don't have any tilt in like a lot of people do. Uh, I have mine right in line with my, my front bar and on my hunting bow, I don't run it at all because it balances where it is with my quiver on that side and everything. So everyone's going to be a little bit different there. Which, which is a great reason why it, it, it's so important to have a good tech at a shop that can help you figure out where you need weight because everyone is different. Like it, like a lot of people, I think just throw a stab on the front and say, okay, I'm, I got a hunting bow, but you, you may need a little, you need, you may need some back weight. You may need some offset to the side, or you may not need so much out in front. It just depends on your physiology and how you shoot and the bow you're shooting. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't want to discount one of the benefits of a stabilizer too, is to just protect everything you have. I mean, I always make sure my stabilizer is long enough where I'm going to protect one of the most fragile things on your bow, which is your sight. 
And so if you would ever drop your bow or set it down or whatever, you want a stabilizer that's long enough to protect, you know, your pens, things that you can't have move on you. I I had to say my favorite innovation so far, aside from shooting, is are are the limb legs. The, They're the handy. Limbs are so awesome, especially like I'm excited about turkey hunting this fall and the blind just being able to have the bow stand there. And I've shot with it all summer with the limb legs on, and I shoot great with them. Yeah, I I like it. The one thing you got to watch out for in a blind is just when you go to full draw, you got to make sure and practice that ahead of time so that you're not going to get entangled up in the blind itself with them because they stick out a little bit. You Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So that you got to watch out for. But in general, I don't shoot without it. You know, it's just you got used to as part of your, you know, it's part of the bow at this point. Yeah, it's it's a it's It's a cool innovation. It's exactly right. And it's one of my favorite things that we've ever made. I mean, like I said, I have them on my bow at all times too, because it just becomes part of the bow, like you said. And when you're shooting in your backyard, you don't realize that if you don't have a hanger or something, you're laying it on the ground or whatever. Now you just don't think about it. You shoot and you can just set it down. And in the blind, it keeps your cam and your arrow off. So you can have an arrow knocked yeah. and ready, which is a hard thing to do. If you don't have your blind set up just perfect, I mean, you're kind of lost of what to do. You might lean up your arrow or whatever. Uh, but where I'd like it, and I talked about this with somebody else just recently is I do, if I'm spotting and stalking into a place, I'm always in my binos and like, you don't really know what to do with your bow. You're leaning up against your leg, but when you can just set your bow down and get in your binos and pick it back up, I mean, that's a big, big deal for me too. And it just has changed the way I've used my bow and it's become a really good tool and it's removable quick. If you don't need it, if you're in a tree, you're right. Those things can get tangled up. So they're made to take pop off and shove in a pocket. I will say one thing that you, you, you know, and maybe you guys are looking at it already, but what would be nice is when I'm walking to a stand, uh, you know, or to a blind or whatever, sometimes it, it hits my leg and I don't realize it, but it'll take one of the limbs and, and it, it'll kind of knock it backwards a little bit. I wonder if there was some sort of simple locking system too that, you know, I know it locks when you push them forward, but I wonder if there's like a latch system or something sure. because that's something where, you, you know, I always, I'm always worried that I'm going to lose it on my way to the blind, you know, <laughs> which I that's guess the, the answer is, is putting it into your pack on your way in, but I'm lazy. That, <laughs> that's actually a product of you being part of the proving ground, Matt. So the, you guys got a prototype bow, you know, colored like the last, but yeah, that was a thing, but that's a brand new cup for us. And it was a little bit looser. So it was something that we addressed. We heard a lot of the, about that from the proving ground guys. So there you it's go. It's improved on the on the production bows. I need one. The Matt Drury fit. <laughs> the, the, the Matt Drury, Drury failure proof. <laughs> Give it to Matt. He'll find what's wrong with oh, it. Oh, every time. He's good at that. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's talk about knocking points. We've got a question of the day from one of our listeners. I think it's a great one for Mark. All right. This week's question of the day is proudly brought to you by Victory Archery, the carbon arrow experts. My question is in relationship to the horizontal plane of the arrow while on the bow. In my setup, I try to keep the arrow as horizontal with the bow at rest and at full draw. But I see a lot of the archers today on the outdoor programs having a much higher knocking point on the horizontal plane than my setup. Which leads me to question, is my setup incorrect or is the top technology just more advanced than what I have? Your insight to this question would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. Great job, Randall. 
quick to the, the whole point. Running. I like nice, it. Nice job. Uh, if you want to ask us a question or ask one of our experts a question, just go to the show notes, click the 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 hyperlink that'll take you to our webpage, and click the send voicemail button and leave your name location and your question a lot of clicking there yeah sorry about that (laughs) all right what do you got man yeah so he's absolutely right the bows are designed to have a level knock travel and that's kind of part of the center guard and everything that we're talking about that our bows have been built around the burger button which is where you traditionally would mount a rest and the bow centered on that so what you want ideally is your your arrow to be level through there now what he's probably seeing is a lot, uh, a lot of people do is they'll knock it high. Um, you know, mine's perfectly level, but they'll knock it high as kind of a bandaid um, to some of the tuning issues that can come up with bows. Maybe your cams aren't timed right, or you're shooting too stiff of an arrow uh, is really what it probably comes down to is that uh, a bow is going to like a certain spined arrow traditionally. And the one that shoots right out of the middle of the bow is going to be your right spine. If you have something that's a little bit on the stiff side, you will have to knock it high. And that's based all on your paper tuning. So when you go to a shop and you're shooting through paper, um, your arrow will shoot a high, a high t- or a low tear, and you'll have to keep moving it up to get that thing to be a perfect bullet hole. That's probably either you have too tight of a loop or you have too stiff of an arrow or your cams aren't timed. So if you fix those things and you shoot the right spine arrow, uh, the bows are made to shoot perfectly out of the middle of the bow. So Randall's bow is like that. He's, he's got a good one. He's got a good uh, tech working on his bow. There you go, Randall. Boom. Nice job, Mark. You should do this for a living. <laughs> I'll work on that. <laughs> Start writing some letters. <laughs> okay, how about we hop into the wildlife word? It is brought to us by Hunter Specialties, makers of the comprehensive sent away line of scent elimination products. And it's about a deer's metabolism in the wintertime. So what happens to a whitetail's metabolism in the winter? Does it A, increase by 50%, B, decrease by 50%, or C, stay about the same? We always let the guests go first. What do you got, Mark? And I don't know. I know they're eating a different diet, and especially here in Wisconsin when it's cold, they're eating pine needles and bark. So I would have to assume it slows down, but I guess I don't know. That's what I would go with. Okay. Decrease yep. by 50. You guys got it. Ding, ding, ding. ding. <laughs> You're winners. All right. Nice job. Yeah, uh, some people, it's a little counterintuitive and you think they have to burn more to stay warm, but typically they just kind of hunker down and Mark, you're right. They're eating kind of lower calorie foods. Well, and that's why, you know, our strategy switches so much in the late season. They're going back to that food to bed, bed to food pattern, and they're not staying far from that food at all. I mean, they're traditionally hanging right off of the food source. So they don't, they don't move a whole heck of a lot, whether, whether the food source is acorns or whether it's a green food plot or grain or whatever the case may be. Or you get a big snow and they just hunker down because because it takes them energy to push through that deeper snow. And I mean, literally calories are life and death for animals. And if, if they don't get them, then they don't make it through the winter. Some of us get too many in the winter. Well, that's a different kind of death by calories. (laughs) That's too chunky. (laughs) All right. Well, Well, Mark, is there anything else on the horizon that you can tease for Matthews before we close out here? No, definitely not. I'd have to kill you guys if I did that. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> but yeah. next year, uh, we're already working on stuff. We're excited, um, but we're 
you know, the, the V3 platform and the Prima and the Alice. I feel like we've really made both for everybody this year. Um, we're really excited to see how they do. And they've already performed super well this fall. So yeah. hopefully another good year. Matt killed the deer with one. So <laughs> it's good. you know it's good. <laughs> That's right. I killed two. <laughs> so take that, Tim. In my face. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks everyone for watching. We appreciate you tuning in. Mark, thanks for your time. We appreciate you. All right. Thanks, guys. Till next see time. Ya. Peace out. Every hunt starts with a game plan, like knowing when and what to plant. So get DeerCast and get ahead of your game.